Welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people, the whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit! We are now addressed by the living Lord through his living word. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister." Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment now to pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity here to gather around your word and give us your Holy Spirit to illumine, Father, what you have revealed to us in your scriptures. Bring us closer, Jesus, to you as we know your welcome of grace and mercy. And Jesus, as we have been well served with good news by you, would we serve others well with good news as or in addition Uh, jesus thank you for your great love for us and be active among us in these moments lord we pray in your name and for your sake amen you may be seated all right so colossians chapter one and sorry to shut this out to the whole congregation. Josh, I'm seeing in the worship folder that volunteer leader interviews are after the creed and the offering. As we talked about, let's go ahead and bring up the volunteer leaders right after I preach, and then we'll do Apostles' Creed and offering. We got it. Colossians chapter 1. Church planting. Way back in the day, we were a church plant. And church plants, starting new churches, is hard. It's difficult. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes resources. And there are no guarantees that church plants work, that they happen. And ultimately, for church plants to work, to thrive, depends on Jesus. Depends on the Holy Spirit to bless this or that particular work. And it's wonderful to see church plants run and thrive. Part of my role within the Liberty Communion of Churches, our family of churches, is to raise up and support younger churches and church plants. And it's always awesome when they're doing great. I'm always sad when they don't. Humanly speaking, there are a lot of factors that that go into that. One of the things that's a positive indicator for church planting success is the church planter. You need the right person on the ground, somebody that's healthy. And one of the phrases that I use for describing healthy leadership is... You need somebody more than a clean pocket quarterback. Now, quarterback is a player on a sports team for football. And with quarterbacks, if you don't know about football, having a pocket is the thing from which quarterbacks throw. And what I call a clean clean pocket quarterback is sometimes quarterbacks are good if everything else goes great. When the quarterback has plenty of time to throw, He's not under pressure. People aren't breathing down his throat to tackle him. 
but you don't just want to be a clean pocket quarterback because very often in football, as will happen with Dak Prescott, the Dallas Cowboys quarterback this afternoon, he'll be under a lot of pressure and will not have clean pockets. And the bad news for us is that Dak Prescott is more than a clean pocket quarterback. He's very good when things start to break down, still making great plays. You need that in the church planter because when you're starting a church, how often do things go great with nothing unforeseen and no problems? Never. So you need somebody that is very adaptable, can handle a lot of stress and all of those things. A basically healthy leader. And in addition to that, though, as I coach and support church planters in various stages of pre-launch, launch, and post-launch, I'll ask the planter, tell me about your people. Tell me about your core group, your launch team, whatever you call it. Those folks that are rolling up their sleeves and working for the sake of this church to go, tell me about them. And this is a little bit of a learning curve for the coaching to church planting coaches over the years with the recognition that you need more than just an all-pro church planter, but you need the right mix of people as well. So I'll ask, hey, can I meet your folks? Can I engage with them? Can I give some coaching to, to them as well? And the reason for that, hopefully, is supremely evident because it's kind of like this. When you think about churches... right? There is a church, there is a steeple, open the doors, and you see all the people, right? Churches depend on people, not just upon pastoral leadership, not just a couple, but upon a lot. And what do you know? That's what we're going to be talking about here for a few minutes during Volunteer Sunday. And serving in the context of a local church, that's not all or the only type of service that Jesus calls his people to do, but it's an important part of it. And in addition to that, however, serving in the context of a local church is not just so that things happen, so that things get done, to keep the operation moving, to keep the boat afloat. It's deeply formative and designed to be a blessing to those also that serve. And granted, is it the case that in the history of the church, as Volunteer Sunday has been practiced since the time of Jesus and the disciples, that Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 to 23, is the classic text for Volunteer Sunday? Not necessarily, although who knows? And we'll get back to volunteering in just a minute, but to look at this passage, because we are continuing on sermon series in Colossians. Speaking of connections... Paul is coming hot on the heels of what he talked about last time. Last sermon was about reconciliation, where Jesus of Nazareth, through his crucifixion and resurrection, Paul says, reconciled all things to himself, making peace by the blood of his cross. And now he's unpacking it just a little bit more. And what was implicit in what we talked about last week, Paul makes explicit here in verse 21. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in minds... That's the before. For those that have believed in Jesus, this is before. Strong language, but true. And you, who once were alienated in hostile minds doing evil deeds. Apart from the forgiveness of Jesus and the reconciliation that he buys for us on the cross, the truth of Jesus is that we are otherwise unreconciled to him. 
But it's not just the bad news. There's the good news of the cross. He is now reconciled, there's that word again, in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. We need the cross to bring us back. For there to be reconciliation, Jesus needs to make satisfaction, and that's exactly what he does on the cross. And by believing in Jesus, that brings us back to the living Lord, God Almighty. We're set in right relationship with him again, not just so that we can sit there, but Paul uses the language holy and blameless in his sight. Jesus has redeemed us as we come to him by faith that we might be whole and holy before him. That's a beautiful thing. And if you're somebody here this morning in the room or watching online and you're still piecing together spiritual realities one way or another, I would simply say this. Even if you're skeptical towards the Christian faith, would you yet appreciate both the beauty and the blood of the Christian story? Jesus crucified and resurrected. The beauty, we're not left in our own mess. There's hope for us and there's hope for the world. We're not just left to beat everybody up all the time. And when we do the wrong thing, we are forgiven in the eyes of a holy God. And on and on, that's great news. And if the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus feels a little retrograde and bloody, it's not just to us as modern people. Starting the day that it happened, people struggled with saying, is this the center of all things? Is this what it's all about? A dirty execution, the spilling of blood. But I would only observe here, isn't that so like our world? Isn't our world lamentably, sadly, bloody? And it is. And we see the very center of God's revelation to us, Jesus of Nazareth and his person and his work, saying, bring that on to me. I want to redeem people not just from any world, but from this bloody world. And for my sacrifice to fit, there must be blood. And so there was. So Jesus has done the hard work for us that we would believe in him and yet at the same time again, belief in Jesus is only the beginning of the journey. We're meant to step out and continue from there. There's a conditional purpose clause in verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Jesus died to redeem you, to present you whole and holy before him, if indeed you continue in the faith. Now give me just a second here if we can become word nerds for a very brief moment. And the language in which Paul is writing here, ancient Greek, that you, you see the if at the beginning of verse 23 in English, that's technically called a conditional statement. And there are different classes or categories of conditional statements in ancient Greek some of them are contrary to fact, or like, okay, there's an if here, but we all know it's not going to happen. So an example of an if conditional statement contrary to fact would be, if James Harden stays well-conditioned, healthy, and happy, the Sixers are championship contenders. Now, obviously, you know that that's a statement contrary to fact. 
There are other statements, conditional, where the expectation is yes. It's not that it's probably not going to work, but it probably will. And that's the type of conditional statement with confidence that we have here. Paul is saying, Jesus has redeemed you. You're covered by his forgiveness and life. Now keep going. If or as you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel proclaimed in all the world. And it seems like it's kind of like this. Paul is saying here, by the way, we have that, we talk at Liberty Collingswood, the indicative before the imperative. We have been, in the indicative voice, word, word nerd one more time in English, we have been redeemed. Now there's the imperative, the command of go and live it out. Not so that we can earn what Jesus has already earned for us, but to respond with thanksgiving. Therefore, go and do. Continue stable and steadfast. And if the gospel, Paul says in verse 23, is universal and unchanging, we're called to reflect the same thing. The gospel of Jesus, the good news, the story, is unchangeable and eternal. Therefore, you be stable and steadfast. Not just a clean pocket quarterback, but rugged, resilient, and robust in following Jesus of Nazareth. And how do we do that? This is a Sunday of sports analogies. Who knew? I didn't until it happened. Practice. How do you follow Jesus and remain stable and steadfast? You do it, and you do it, and you do it. You follow, and you follow, and you follow. There is a ton of research and study from multiple fields, from behavioral psychology, from biology, neurology, economics, etc., inside the church too, that we as human beings, we learn and believe things not only using our heads, but by using our feet and our hands. We learn by doing. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, don't just believe the right things, although it's really important. Believing in Jesus is a big deal. We should. But don't just sit there and believe. Do. And the one reinforces the other, reinforces the other. So we press in. And as we press into believing, we press into belonging. As we press into belonging, we press into behaving. And then the behaving reinforces the believing, reinforces the belonging, reinforces the behaving, and all over again. Not a vicious cycle, but a virtual one as we work, as we do. And one of the chief ways here at Liberty Collingswood that we want to give you the opportunity to put Jesus into practice for you so that you can avoid being a clean pocket quarterback Christian is to do, is to labor, is to practice, is to work, yes, by volunteering. So by doing something as mundane, volunteering in a local church, we are learning and being framed by the good news of Jesus more and more and more. So there's a pressing in aspect to it. And there's also a pushing back or pushing against aspect to it too. What are we pushing against if we say yes? Well, we are pushing against ourselves in a really, really healthy way. Or to put it in late modern West America stuff, we're pushing against American stinginess, which way too often is what we are. Tons of research will say, hey, America's really rich. Overall, that's true, even if we're not all personally rolling in dough. Rich nation, are we generous? No. 
And most studies say that the average American is generous, gives, spends not for themselves, uh, maximum 2%, probably mid 1% range of actually spending things not on ourselves. So we are not generous as a society, but then also it's not only not being generous, being stingy with, time, with money, we're also stingy with time. A couple of pastors I've heard, I'm not sure if this is a phrase or a concept outside of the church world, it's at least in the church world, and I think it makes sense. I've talked to you about a couple of people with you about this, the boomer apocalypse, is coming. How many people have heard that phrase? Well, that's why you're here. So you'll hear it from, from, from me. Boomer apocalypse. Baby boomers, older Americans at this point. And for the past few years, baby boomers have become a little bit of punching bags or punchlines, the whole okay boomer thing. What are they good for? But I'll tell you what baby boomers are good for. There's a ton of sociology and research that says baby boomers, even as they get older, relative to all of the younger generations, are vastly more generous with their money and with their time. And the bad news as Gen Z, it's like, I can at least say, well, at least I'm better than subsequent generations, but it, the good news or bad news, depending on where you're located age-wise, is it just gets worse generation to generation to generation to, to generation. Are there exceptions? Of course there are. I don't want to press that too strongly. But as you go down the generation ladder, people, on average, statistically speaking, are far less generous of their time and of their money. And the boomer apocalypse I've heard pastors use to describe, whether it's churches, local governments, civic organizations, nonprofits, even though it's not the super sexiest thing in the world, all of these organizations, they are kept afloat and pushed ahead by a ton of baby boomers giving a ton of money and a ton of time. They're not going to be around forever. And subsequent generations, we're not picking up the slack and stepping up and saying, we want to be generous in the same ways. So far, we are not. But doing something as mundane as volunteering in a local church context pushes against that narrative where we own our selfishness individually and within our families and say in some small measure, more than otherwise, if I don't say yes, that's not going to be me. I'm going to push back. I'm going to give back. I'm going to own my tendency to selfishness. And every time you volunteer, you show up, you press accept on planning center, the green button, you are sticking it in the eye of Satan himself. Saying, this will not be me. I'm not going to just turn inward on myself. And so we're saying no to more sleep, more comfort, and more time for the sake of others. And that's why the simplicity of service is deeply formative and framing to us in profound ways. It's no coincidence, thinking of pastors. I'm grateful to be in the Liberty Community of Churches. Sometimes I hear that when, you, when pastors get together, all they do is complain about their people. That doesn't really happen in Liberty Churches. And I feel sad if there are church contexts out there where the pastors get together and all you need is a cigarette or two, or a bourbon, and it's like, I, I can't stand my own people. That, that, that's not me. That's not us. But what we do instead is we brag. 
not about ourselves, but in each of the churches, for example, in the Liberty Communion, we tell stories about people that aren't making headlines in local newspapers, national headlines, New York Times, etc., but people that show up faithfully and serve, and we are captivated by the beauty of that service. On our 10th anniversary weekend for Liberty Collingswood that we had this past spring, I mentioned and I'll mention again. For example, one of the stories that I tell within our community of churches is about Linda, Linda Quick, our one-person setup and takedown team for years. We have a whole team that does it now. Before, the team was one. And that's a story that I love to tell. And it's beautiful. Or I gave him a heads up that he would get a shout out uh, this Sunday morning. Uh, our friend Jay Palacharla is going on vacation in India for the first time in years to see his friends and family. He'll be gone for a couple of months. Jay has been an incredibly faithful servant Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday for years. Not wanting to get praise back. Yeah, let's give him a hand. Jay, we're, Jay, Jay, we're grateful. We're, we're going to miss you. We won't quite say don't go, but we're praying for you as you do, and we miss you. But men and women simply showing up to serve is the beauty and the glory of the local church. This is where I'll wrap up so we can hear from some of our volunteers. If you'd like to serve more at Liberty Collingswood, you can sign up. And what do you know? We have little QR codes in the pews. We're going to give you an opportunity to, to do that. You can go through the full menu and say, hey, is there anything more that, that, that I could be doing? Maybe there is. Think through. And just by clicking, yes, I'd like to learn more, doesn't necessarily mean, to put it this way, we, we don't ask you for your credit card number when you click on I'd like to know, like, like to know more. We'll just be in, back in touch and give you more information. If you are serving, thank you. Thank you. You are seen, you are loved, you are valued, and you in so many ways are the core muscle layer and the glory and the beauty of our local church. The last thing I'll say, as you volunteer and serve, and there's tons of ways to do it, and I think one of the thing, great things that Eric Mitchell did uh, for us for a lot of years was building out serve teams, so there's a lot of different gift sets, a lot of different time slots that can be used in a lot of different ways across the board here at Liberty, so it's not one size fits all when it comes to service, and when it comes to service in the, also the time sense, time slot sense too. So last thing I'll say, when you serve, press record. Notice that you're doing it. Don't just go through the motions. Although, you know, every time I serve in a local church, including this one, are, are the angels singing? Not that I can hear, although maybe they are. But by and large, when you do, press record. Notice what you're doing. Do it with thankfulness. Allow yourself to be blessed by the act of sacrifice that you're giving right now. I tell younger church planners, one of the ways that they can be unhealthy is doing way too much themselves, saying, 
I don't want to overburden people, so I'm not going to ask anybody to do X, Y, and Z. The standard coaching back is, to use the old church phrase, if you've heard it before, don't steal their blessing. Give them the opportunity. It's okay if we say no, but give them, give us, Lord, the opportunity to serve and be formed in a deeper way. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, the odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, on the same podcast feed, where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.